Well, the only thing I can start with this morning is, and the way that it is, and, and, and this is just me and what God has done in me and, and brought me to the place, you know, because before when I was a young Christian, and even as a young Christian, I was a young, so I, I was called a pastor, and I was a young pastor, a very young Christian and a young pastor. And I was taught, obviously, and I was taught, I was taught a lot of great things, but I was taught also that the pastor, what does he do? He prepares a message for the people. That's, what, that's the way that I was taught. And God had to unteach me by decreasing me so that he could increase the reality in me because the only way that the word can be given in terms of life and grace and truth is when that work is done in the instrument or the, the individual that he's going to be in, to, in, and through, and flow through, and that's it. If it isn't intimate personal counsel, there's no impartation. It may be something that's been imputed, and imputed, the difference between imputed, imputed knowledge is, is that all of us in Christ, we can read the Bible, we can declare certain things and never even experience them. We can preach and teach them. And we, but until the will is broken and submitted, and until there's intimacy and private, personal, intense, intimate counsel with the individual, there's no imputation of life. It, it, there is an opposition. Imputation is, is everything that's been given to us in our position. Our position has to do with what we call our standing. Now, our standing is brought out in Romans 5, 1 and 2. We are standing in grace. That is God's view of us in Christ. And in, even in that sense, in Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous because in 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Christ is our righteousness, and he, God never removes his eye. Now that is, we can declare that, and we can even say that's how God sees us. But wow, do we experience that? And the only place we can is in this brokenness where the, the truth and counsel of God in the individual can penetrate. And what we mean, by, what the word means by that is Psalm 119, 130. It says, the entrance of your word gives life. It has to have an entrance. That entrance that God has in the individual that's his is through brokenness, which means the will is now submitted. The will separated from the self-life, fleshly interpretation of self, of others, and God. And now it's submitted and functioning in Christ. So Psalm 119, 130 the entrance, uh, the entrance of your word gives life. It gives understanding to who? And where it says the simple, really, it means the humble there. So Psalm 119, 105, the, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And of course, he has to light us up on the inside. So again, I, I used to think, and it was all, God was still faithful to me, even when I thought, he, he still was, even as a young pastor, 25 years old, in Baltimore, Maryland, I'm 25. In Baltimore, Maryland, it's 1977. And, he, and I'm sent there as, as a pastor. <laughs> and the word's coming through me, but yet was always dealing with me personally. But I was taught that that's what you do. You prepare a message. And I even heard back then, God does not want a prepared message. He wants a prepared man. Is a man prepared if he's not broken? If it's not experiential, the difference between gnosis and epinosis, knowledge which is declarative, and then a full experiential understanding, through literally through an exchange of intimacy. And that brings me to, and and... I'm going to continue with this word peace. And I really believe that I was going to continue with it this morning in peace. And, and uh, God told me, no, you stop. You stop. I want you to pick up that notebook that a long time ago that you wrote down. And I gave you the scriptures all about forgiveness. 
said, I want you to take that because I want to talk to you personally. So I sat here early this morning. I mean, like really early. And, and God began to teach me and, and show me about forgiveness. Boy, and when he does, boy, he, he does a thorough job like no other can do. The Holy Spirit takes the scriptures and he can penetrate, obviously, where no one can go. <clears throat> no one can go. And, and uh, so that's what was going on this morning. We've been talking about peace and some of the titles, we, how, how to get peace or how to have peace. And for a Christian, for a Christian, those that are in Christ, to continue to function in that peace, it's very interesting how that forgiveness is always included in it. <laughs> we have peace because the truth of the matter is we are forgiven. Now that's our position. But how do I function in my experience? Towards God, towards myself, and towards others. How, how, how does that, how do I function in that? How do I? And so I'll read, so I'm just going to read some scriptures and I said to God, as God was giving me this this morning and overflowing and dealing with me in so many areas, taking me from the present right now all the way back, all the way back almost as far as I could remember uh, with this, with this uh, teaching and this intensity on forgiveness and how that so interrupts the flow of God's love that always gives us joy and peace. See, because peace, peace is always and only attached to who God is. That's why Ephesians 2.14, it says he is our peace. Christ is our peace. And he is God. And we have that peace. And because of him, we have that. We have the peace of reconciliation being our substitute because he was the one who propitiated his father. And then that propitiation entered into and, and caused him, was the very cause of him being that substitution for all of us, thereby we could be reconciled. And is there reconciliation experientially if I am not functioning in my own personal life with forgiveness? And boy, does it interfere. I, you know, in... I've said many times too, like, uh, why in my growth and in my years and so forth, why, why do I don't, why am I not experiencing peace? Well, and he, and sometimes it takes God time to answer us because then we have to enter into his plan and the process of grace and knowledge and growing in it in 2 Peter 3.18. And that always entails humility. He has to, I might have questions about certain things, but I still may not even be humbled in that area. And will I even be in a place to receive the grace, obviously, that gave the forgiveness positionally, and how would it enter into the experience? And, and really, what I think about myself in terms of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, really and truly, how I think about myself and how I think about others has everything to do with truly how I know God and experience Him. Little did I know. And so, it was about this forgiveness thing for me personally. So, I'm not up here giving a, presenting a great message. I'm just going to share the counsel that God gave to me personally in my life. Now, you remember in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, there was the fact that there was a young man. And as far as I can see in the context, they were all born again. As far as I can tell, they were born again, obviously if you look at it, in the whole preponderance of the scriptures in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. But there was a young man who was having sexual relations with his stepmother, his, his father's wife, who was his stepmother. And it was allowed to go on. 
because in the church of Corinth, there wasn't a specific order. Boy, let me tell you, this is why it's so important, in, again, in the local assembly, that order be established. That's not legalism. That's grace. Now, the flesh may look at it like that, and sentimentality may look at it like that, but it's truth, and truthfully, it's not. Order is for us, not against us. God for us, Romans 8, 31, who against us. Now, God does all things in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, decently and in order. So is God's order for me or against me? And because God's order has everything to do with Christ. And is, did he not give him for us? So there wasn't order being established there because those that were there, they were more interested, and boy, we're going to see this, and boy, I looked up that word, oh my God. I said, really, God? You mean, really, I, I've done that? In pretense? You mean, I've, I've operated in pretense? Oh, geez, Lord, really? Oh, Lord. You mean, I, I operated in a show, and it wasn't an experiential reality even when I preached? Oh, Lord, really? Oh, God. That's intense. That was allowed to go on in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. It was allowed to go, to go on because they were living in show and not reality. They were showing. They were trying to show off using the gift. And they were, one of, they were as gifted as any other local assembly and sometimes even more. But because of that, and we always have to remember, and God constantly reminds me, Ed, God has given you a gift and gifts not to elevate you in the flesh, but to humble you in his presence. Can't know that one enough. God gave the gifts to these Corinthians, these gifted men, but they used it because you know why? Because in Revelation 2 verse 4, they left their first love. They left the knowledge that, oh my God, we can rejoice because we've been so forgiven of everything. Now we're free to love. And until I enter into experiential forgiveness, am I free to love, to receive his love for me and for others and to return it back to him in, in my obedience. That's 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15, all things are for your sake that the abundant grace might redound. It means goes right back. And what did God give us grace for in, in Titus 2.12? To deny all ungodliness. To deny it. The only way we can is through grace. And the only way we can continue in grace is through his love that confirms us in his forgiveness. The only way. It's the only way possible. And there's no experiential growth beyond it. So they were living like this. And they were making more of their gifts because they used their gifts to show themselves <laughs> in a show. <laughs> no wonder it says in 1 John 3.18, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, it's not what you say that teaches. It's how you live your life and your character. And if your conduct is the equal of your character, that's you're ministering Christ in your own individuality. They were making a show of themselves and didn't, and what that guy, what that son was doing wasn't even an issue because they were too busy promoting themselves and not Christ. And they missed, they didn't care. Now, I don't mean in a legalistic sense. They didn't care and love for that son that was doing that, affecting the mom and affecting the, the dad. First of all, affecting the glory of Christ God Almighty, and affecting the blessing, and the whole local assembly was affecting them because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Galatians 5, 9, scores of other scriptures about leaven and what it represents. In Leviticus, the 13th and 14th chapters, leaven, which, which is sin. And so that's what they were doing. They were promoting themselves. 
And of course, Paul had to put them back in order. He had to instruct them. And that's what God's doing with the word. That's what he was doing with me this morning. I want to put you back in my order so you experience my love. You need to be, you need to be instructed. And you need to function in this. Okay. And when that was brought out to them, Without even any forgiveness, and what is forgiveness is the confirmation of love, and it may mean I can't fellowship with you, but it doesn't mean that I haven't forgiven you and I love you. I need, God needs time to humble you so you can experience that forgiveness and that love. And that can take a long time for a lot of us, and me is included in us, meaning I am included in us. And so immediately... It's still in the flesh. They kicked the guy out and could have cared less for him. First, they didn't care about the way he was living. And then when it was brought out, all it brought out was the legalism of their flesh, and they booted him out and wouldn't forgive him. <laughs> First, they allowed, this is the flesh, and, show, and showing off gifts and playing church and playing these roles and making like we're something and making like man's the authority and God gave gifts to men to make them the authority and not Christ. Well, they wouldn't forgive him. They refused to do it. So on the one hand, they let it go. Then it was discovered, boom, no grace in either sense. Isn't that interesting? Because in either case, of course, obviously, God never gives us grace to sin, to continue in it in Romans 6, 1 and 15, and Romans 3, verse 8. Never does. Remember, you know, and read Titus 2, 11 and 12. He never gave us grace to live in sin. It's grace is the only means whereby we can deny ungodliness. Sin was so evil in God's sight that the only, the only way was grace. The only way. And so Paul then has to counsel them again. And here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that makes me glad, but the same which is made sor sorry by me? And I wrote the same unto you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice. I want you to look at that word. God wants to see that word rejoice, because that word rejoice is always in competition with shame or being ashamed. And God had to bring that out in me, which he did very thoroughly this morning. I ought to rejoice. Having confidence in you all, that my joy, isn't that awesome, that my joy is the joy of you all. It's the same. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears that you should, that you should be grieved properly. And, and the grieving there, of course, is, is 2 Corinthians 7.10, a godly sorrow, which is not worldly sorrow. Uh, worldly sorrow always has regret with it because there's no provision. Godly sorrow, my God, I, I, when we know this, I mean, chastisement towards us is literally when God chastens us, it's, it's the first step of grace. <laughs> Nothing but grace. And that's where his love flows through. It's grace and his wisdom. Many tears that you, should, that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love. Isn't that interesting? That you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, God, he's not grieved me. Boy, you can only say that when you function in God's love for you. When, when Christ is your all, it's the only way you can say that. Otherwise, you'll get a lot of grief from a lot of people that the enemy will use, that's for sure. He has not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. In other words, that I may not make you responsible for it. Sufficient to such a man is this, is this what? Is this punishment. Really, it's the censure. That's what it's talking about, the censure, which was inflicted of many. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him. He's speaking now, speaking to, the, the, to those that, were, that had these gifts that first bypassed that young man 
having those relations with his stepmom, bypassing it, and then bypassing forgiveness for this guy when he got right. That's where we are here. So the contrary wise, you, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So because of all this, I'm, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient. Isn't that interesting? Why do we say, why does the scriptures teach us that we know that God, in measure, don't we? We do, we do know it in measure. We will never come to the end in Ephesians 3 verse 19 of how much God loves us and the meaning of that. Because God had no end and will have no beginning. <laughs> so we'll never come to the end of it. We know that God loves us, but how do we know that we love him? And it's called obedience. It's obedience. It's submission of the will. When he humbles us, gives us the grace. Now his love can flow in and I can function in obedience with a submitted will and return his love for him. That's what 1 John 4.10 is saying. 1 John 4.10 says, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in 4.19 of 1 John, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. So the cause of his love when we receive it, is returned in the effect of our obedience. But still, it was of him. <laughs> Everything. Oh, I wish we knew that. And I uh, wish I knew it. And, and uh, I'm trusting God that he will, and you know he will. Be faithful to do it. That you be obedient, in 2 Corinthians 2, 9, in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgave also, because we have the same nature, the same Christ. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, what? What does it say? In the person of Christ. No, in God's sight, in the very sight of Christ. That's what it's saying in the original. In the person of Christ means in his sight. And is my sight in him in intimacy proper? Do I see him the way he sees me? And do I see him? the way that he is, and do I see all those that are his in the same way? To whom forgave you anything? I forgave also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it? For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan, oh boy, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Because when for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant, and are we? When I don't function in love, do I need love? How often do I need love? How often do I need God? How often am I ignorant? How often am I ignorant of his love for me when I live not forgiving others? God Almighty. You mean, uh, you know, I mean, you're as a pastor and you preach these things and you still have these areas? Yes. Yeah, I mean, Paul's an apostle called by Christ, pure grace. He could fall right back into legalism. Why do you suppose he got that thorn? And, and Because it was protection to keep him from functioning in the flesh. And God be faithful to do that, to forgive. So here, now... Here we have, we're going to turn to, and I'm going to read it in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And you can watch the flow of this. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Look at, look at Ephesians 4 verse 1. Look at what it says. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Who's a prisoner? How do I know I'm a prisoner of the Lord? I don't know it until my will's submitted to him. I don't know it. I don't experience the reality of who he is in me and who I am in him. I don't experience that. I absolutely don't experience it. See? I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of that vocation where you're called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That means you may have to wait a long time 
for that person to receive the forgiveness that God has given you for that individual. And it could be vice versa, and it usually is. Forbearing one another in love. You mean, you mean I'm supposed to still love them even though they don't forgive me? Well, isn't his love very intimate and personal? In Psalm 119, 165, great peace. Notice that. Have they that love your word and nothing will cause them to stumble. You'll never make an excuse. There's no excuse for me not functioning in God's love. He's removed it all. Christ paid for it all. He did it all. And so, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all, notice that, who's above all and through all and in you all. So you notice how it starts in Ephesians 4.1, a prisoner, is one whose will, and he's a servant, and a servant is a worshiper, and a worshiper is a doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, and a doulos is the, is the lowest servant that there is. But his will is swallowed up by the will of his master. Now he's mastering me. So when I'm a prisoner of the Lord, look what it says. That, I can, that I'll put away lying. In 425. That I'll put away lying. And I don't operate in the forgiveness that's mine, and I don't operate in the forgiveness that's, that's others'. I operate in a lie, don't I? Wherefore, put away lying and speak truth to every man with his neighbor. Neighbor here literally means those that are closest to you, by the way. That's what that means. Those that are closest to you. For we are members one of another. See the context? We're members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Oh boy, let not the sun go down upon your wrath or your unforgiveness. Neither give place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27 was 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. What's that mean? I'll steal it for me. I'll give it to me, but I'll steal it away from you. God can forgive me of every other kind of thing. You wouldn't, I, some of the things that would be, I, wouldn't even, I don't even want to talk about them. They're so shameful. And yet he forgave me. I won't forgive you for the speck that's in your eye because I have a sequoia in mine. This tree. Because it's all about self. It's all about self. And I can even preach it that way but I'll do it with pretense. I'll do it in a phony way. And that, where do we, we'll get into that word, pretense, on Friday. Forgiveness. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's a prisoner. Anything of the flesh in the, in the believer, in Romans 8, verse 9, is, is corrupt. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That means it's a thought before it became expressed. You'll see that brought out in Philippians 2 and verse 14 when we bypass 2, 12, and 13 of Philippians. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, the only good that's in God, Matthew 19, 17, Luke 18, 19, and so on, to the use of edifying, that it may minister what? Grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, oh boy, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. You ought to see these words in the original. In evil speaking, that's a thought before it becomes communicated. That's why we always teach when there's issues between individuals, let's, let's establish it again. Here's God's order no matter what. It doesn't change. God's order is of his nature. In Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord your God, I change not. 
the same order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. If you have an issue with an individual, before you go to face the individual, you go to God. Then you go to that individual alone. Then if you're rejected, there's a process in Matthew 18, 15 to 18. Boy, would that keep out a lot of nonsense. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You ought to see these words. We'll get into them on Friday. And instead of that, as a prisoner of the Lord, you're going to be kind because love is patient and kind, right? And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Be, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, because you never leave the reality of your first love in Revelations 2 and verse 4, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiveness. To forgive. Here's the word. I'm going to give you some, some of these uh, Greek words. Here's the word forgive. It's charizomai. And really, if you want me to say it in the Greek, I can pronounce it that way. I'm giving you the English version. The Greek version is charizomai. 23 times in the Greek New Testament. 23 times. It's used in the middle voice. Now, when it says the middle voice, here's what grace always teaches us. Grace is absolutely and only in the passive voice. Then when God has humbled me and I receive it, this is 1 Peter 5, 6. This is James 4, verse 6. When God has humbled me and I with my free will give it over and I receive it, now it's in the middle voice. I begin to participate. I'm not the source of the action of his love, which is great, flowing through grace and entering into forgiveness, but now I begin to participate. So 23 times in the middle voice, this word, forgive, is from the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which is grace. It's from keruo, and it's a primary verb. And you know what it means? To be filled up with cheer, to be filled up with joy, because I've been so forgiven and I don't ever want to leave my first love, ever. I never want to leave my precious Savior in intimacy, because if I do, then it's only declarative, cold doctrine and teaching, and no intimacy and fervency and warmth of love. I'll take the word from Christ and make it a whole system. But there'll never be any heat of his presence and energy. It means to be, listen to this, to be calmly at peace with God because I'm functioning in Christ, my proper image, and I am well off, meaning I'm healthy. I'm well off. And then I can enter into, in my own personal exchange of fellowship with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, I begin to rejoice. I can rejoice. Now, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3 says, and you can read that third chapter, and I'll start at verse 7, in the which you also walk sometime, that's in, that's in, and the unsaved nature, which is, which is the flesh, and then the Christian can still function in that, but in which you also walk sometime when you lived in them, when that was your life. Everything about you was yourself. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. No, I'm not going to forgive them. Nope. Is that blasphemy? Is that filthy communication? Let's look at the context. And put it out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not one to another. I can't, I can't do it, God. I can't forgive them. I just can't do it. No, you won't do it. Because you think more of yourself than your own Savior because you left your first love. 
Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. That's positional truth. And have put on the new. This is experiential growth in that position. And have put on the new, which is renewed in the knowledge. After, look at the image, proper image. Do I even know my proper image when I don't live in forgiveness? The image of him that created him. And there's neither all kinds of other nationalities or Jews. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Barbarian, doesn't matter. Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all. And in all, and those that are born again, obviously. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, and all these things lead to forbearing one another, putting up with it, forbearance, macrothumia, as opposed to hupomone, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel or a complaint against what? Any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Forgive. Now this word to rejoice, and we'll see this brought out in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians chapter four. It's unfortunate they put Colossians before Philippians, but that's what they did. (laughs) The proper sequence would be uh, Ephesians and Colossians dovetailing beautifully. But in Philippians chapter 4, we read in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, that's he's talking to them in their position. And how he experiences, Paul, how he, through being linked up in intimacy with Christ, how he sees not himself only, but them. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy, my crown, my reward. Stand immovable in the Lord. And when you do, you see yourselves and you experience, you truly are dearly beloved in the son of his love in Ephesians 1, 6 and Colossians 1 and verse 13. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help these women. They have an issue. They've served with me for years and they were beautiful when, when they functioned together. But then something happened and it entered into an unforgiving spirit. That's the background of what was going on here. Help these women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with others, my fellow laborers who name, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Trace it all the way back to this love that's forgiven us and the confirmation of it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto men epaikis. The Lord is at hand. We'll get into these another whole time. And then it says be careful for nothing. In other words, don't let anxiety come in. You know what makes us anxious and not lose, literally, and not experience the peace that's been made ours? had to bring that out of me this morning. He said, Ed, it's because of areas of you not forgiving. You haven't forgiven them. And by the way, I have. And when you don't forgive, hey, Paul, you're persecuting those that I love. You're persecuting me and my love for them. In Acts 9, 1 to 6, boy, oh boy. But that word rejoice here, rejoice in and again, I say rejoice. And, and really, we could say it almost, I've heard it said like this over the decades of my learning and growing. Relax. Relax. And again, I say relax. Rest in my love. You're forgiven. Rest in my love. Relax. And from a relaxed place, through receiving something you didn't deserve, when you receive it, now you can participate in it. In the middle voice, you begin to participate in the action that came to you, first cause. Now you have the same beautiful effect. Something the enemy hates this. He hates this. He causes more divisions in Christianity and more separations because of this very thing. 
And I'm going to tell you honestly where it starts. I'll tell you where it starts, right in the home. It starts in marriages. It does. It's deep. It goes deep. It goes very, very, very deep. And then it enters, you know, and then it enters into local assemblies too, and, and personal, and the most intimate relationships. And how intimate has God made us to be in Christ? If Christ is our bridegroom and we're his bride, and there's where the enemy comes in, he hates intimacy. So to disturb it and to cause division and stop the growth, experiential, there's, there's the unforgiving spirit. Seriously? What it is, listen, if I don't live under the power of the Holy Spirit, then what is unforgiveness? It is a demonic spirit. It's a spirit. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Mm. So much we can be thankful for. But I just, I just want to... Oh, there's so much here. There's so much here. But li literally, this word charis, and we're going to get into this in a, in a greater depth because it does have to do with our peace because peace has to do with our joy. Our joy has to do with our love. His love for us experientially. Listen, his love for us doesn't change. It doesn't. It never changes. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord your God, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved me yesterday, he loves me today, he'll love me forever, and all into the future. In Ephesians 3 and verse 19, he loves us. And so that word charis, or caris, is the divine influence upon the heart. Isn't that interesting? Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If Christ is my treasure, my true treasure, and he is my all. What, a, what an influence he has upon me. And if I have good emotions, it's simply because I have a good thought life and the initiation of Christ to me. And always, 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 you can tell when we live in forgiveness towards ourselves and towards others because that will always result in a thankful spirit. Always. It's going to result in that because then we have, we have that grace. And then we have that grace and that grace indicates that there's amazing love and favor on the part of the giver. And then there's thanks on the part of the receiver. Do you know what charis is all grace? Charis is always related to sins. Did you know that? <laughs> well, read Romans 5. 20 and 21. Where sin abounded, what did abound much more? Grace. Ephesians 5, 20 and 21. It has to do with sins. And that grace is the very attribute. The very attribute is the very character of God that they evoked. Did you know that? And then when we have that grace that we don't deserve... Then we receive it and begin to participate in it. Then we experience God's elios. Elios there is mercy. E-L-E-O-S, elios, mercy, is the free gift for the forgiveness of sins experientially because it's always related to the misery that sin brings. God's tender sense of our misery displays itself in his efforts. And boy, that's what he was doing with me this morning. The enemy was fighting it like you would not believe. Fighting it. Fighting it. But God's tender sense of our misery, that unforgiveness, displays itself in his efforts, and that's grace, his efforts, to lessen and entirely remove it. Efforts that are hindered and defeated only by man's continued perverseness. You know, you think of pervert, and when we think of pervert, we always think of like sexual sins. It's way more than that. It's way more. It's a perversion of the truth when we don't enter into, when we don't experience forgiveness, when we don't forgive others. It's perverseness. Grace removes guilt. We've heard this, and I can't hear it enough. Grace removes guilt.
Mercy removes misery. Grace removes the cause. Mercy removes all the effects. That's why in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. The rest of that verse, if you have it in any other translation, cross it out. It's not in the original Greek Koine New Testament at all. Not in the minuscules, the majuscules, the Kremlin rolls, in anything whatsoever. It's not there. It, is, it does appear in the fourth verse of Romans 8 when I skip and don't experience 2 and 3 of that same chapter. Objectively, objectively, that means I have to have an object, a source to rely on outside of myself. I, what can I do? Tell me, Ed. I tell God so many times, he gave me this, and I said, and he's pouring it on me, and all I kept saying is, God, I can't do this. And even bringing up certain individuals, you need to forgive. I said, God, I can't. No, you won't. Don't tell me you can't. I can do all things through Christ. In Philippians 4, verse 13, which strengthens me, and he's up because he supplied my need to do so even in forgiveness, in Philippians 4 and verse 19. So grace removes guilt, mercy removes misery. Now I have an object. Objectively, it is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes. Notice that? There's a cause of favorable regard, and it is applied to beauty or gracefulness of person. Subjectively, Subjectively, on the part of the bestower, the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds, this is love and grace, graciousness, loving kindness, goodwill, all has to do with that's what you are in your love. And God's love towards you, and then it flows to you in a submitted will out to others. You have nothing but their goodwill, because that's what God has. And that's always going to involve forgiveness. Remember what we said. In the most intimate relationships is where forgiveness is needed the most. Because that's what he hates. The enemy hates it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy intimacy in the Christian. And make doctrine cold. And make it declarative so that you don't experience it. You know what I love about our Savior? He was so different from the Pharisees. They were dressed up. They could have cared less for others. They could have cared less for the, for the sinner, for the prostitute, from the tax gatherer, from all these lowly people. But Jesus went right in. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He touched the leper, cleansed them. He put his hands right there. That's what he does. That's what he's doing this morning. That's what he did with me this morning. And he has these gracious words. He has these beautiful, gracious words. Well, I'm going to close it this morning and uh, because there's so, so much more. And this is going to involve... I, I never know what God's going to do uh, with these, you know, with, these, with this word and these messages. I, I don't know, but he does. I just know that for me personally, I need to continue in, in this forgiveness and peace and love and trust and how all these things work together. That's what makes these times in the morning. I'm telling you, I am telling you, the most intense times of the word have been these Mondays and Fridays. And I'm going to tell you something right now. The enemy's going to do everything he can to stop you from coming. I'm going to say, and there's no condemnation in that. There's a ton of loving conviction. He will do everything, give you every kind of cloak and excuse not to do it. He, I'm just telling you, he will. He will do it. And, I, and, and of course, when we can't, thank God, we have a website where these go up. Thank God for them. And that's another reason why, and another reason why these books and booklets are so, so, so very, very vital. And they are, and again, God's timing and his provision, but they are, but you can be sure of one thing, the enemy's going to do everything he can to hinder us from coming to hear the word or to operate in what God has for us. And if you experience, I'm sure you have, 
If you've experienced conflict in what God called you to do and the good that he caused you to do in this conflict, that's not the reason why you shouldn't. It's the reason why you shouldn't continue and not quit. It's because remember, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in 2 Timothy 3.12. There's no question about it. And you and I are in conflict. The closer you get to him, listen, here's the truth. This is why we need him constantly. You can't do without him with a second. The closer we get to him in intimacy, the more the need of him is, the more the conflict and the attack of the enemy is going to come. And I'm going to tell you, it starts with this forgiveness thing because it has to do with love, grace, and trust. Why can't I trust him? I don't have the peace. I'm not at peace. I can't. That's right, because your will is not submitted. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. There's all these reasons why I can't do what I know that I should do. You know what he'll use? He'll use your failure and my failure to say, you know what, you're not worthy to come to hear the word. You're struggling. You see that same sin, you get victory, you go right back. You know, that. come on, don't be a phony. Don't come. Yeah, you need to and I need to. And I'll tell you why, and I'm going to close with this. In James 4, 8, draw near to God. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. The enemy says, no, you see your hands, they're dirty. You see your hearts are double-minded. You're not, you don't draw near him until you do something about it. Ha! Huh. What can we do without him in John 15, 1 through 5? You tell me. No. Because you hear it preached in legalism. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Then draw near to God. Then he'll draw near to you. It's not what it says. Draw near to God. Look at the picture in John 13. Those first 10, 12 verses. Look at it. Follow it all the way to through to verse 17. Happy are you if you do these things, which means you experience the life and forgiveness to actually do them. It's a privilege to wash one another's feet in forgiveness. It's an absolute privilege to do so. Look at Jesus. He requests, he requests, give me your dirty foot. You know what, you know the humility that, that, that he is filthy. No, I should, no, no, I'm not worthy. That's pride. I'm not worthy. I should, that's pride. That's a lie. That's a lie. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. What's that? Submit your will, and let him do what only he can do, because he can only do what he can only do, because he finished the doing. He just wants to give it to you and I in our experience. So, Father, thank you for your precious love and your precious grace and your forgiveness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.